Hey, welcome to the Faith NFM podcast. We appreciate your time today, and we encourage you to head on over to faithnfm.com where you can find the notes for this presentation, as well as links to all that's happening around Faith Assembly. Our hope is that this message helps move you forward in your faith journey. Uh, Today, we're going to be continuing our uh, series called Keeping It Fresh. We're looking at the fruits of the Spirit. And uh, the Apostle Paul, he comes in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. He, he starts talking and speaking about there's really two distinctives. There's the world's biblical, or there's the worldview, and then there's the biblical view. In other words, it's the world versus the word. I titled this message Under Control because you and I are going to have to practice in the days to come, in the now, in the moments ahead, whatever the case might be, being under control. So join me, Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 says this. It's been a theme verse for us this series. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. There's nine of them. We've been looking at them. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And that's the one we're going to be looking at today. So I want you to circle it, highlight it, and say, I need some self-control. So today, we all, no matter where we're at, need to practice some self-control. But remember, it's not our responsibility to try to grow this fruit. Aren't you grateful for that? That it's actually our responsibility to draw close to the Lord. I, I, I can't ever go by in this series without stating this line. It's just the Holy Spirit grows the fruit as we draw close to God. Our responsibility, drawing close to Jesus. We've been in this prayer and fast season this past week as we prepare for this new fall and the upcoming days, and we hope that you have taken this opportunity to draw close to God. James 4 eight says this, come close to God and God will come close to you. So our responsibility isn't to try to produce, isn't trying to be these individuals that are, I need to be gentle, I need to be kind, but it's saying, God, I'm going to live out and invest and try to my best to live according to your will, and when I do, you are going to make me a new person and produce your fruits in my life, the ones we just looked at. So we've been talking about fruits, and so we need to continue the illustration of what kind of fruit would be associated when it comes to self-control. When I was doing a deep dive in this theological understanding of what fruit would be equated with each of the nine fruits, I decided to choose grapes. Now, you're probably like, hey, why grapes? Because I have this working theory that when it comes to grapes, no one can eat just one grape. Now, I've said that a few times in our staff meetings and team meetings, and people are like, I can eat just one grape. And I'm like, dude, that's weird. Who like goes and just like plucks one grape? It's usually like you grab like a couple, right? And you might not even be a big grape person, but you're like, ah, I can I'll eat this one, and you put another one in your mouth, right? No one's ever like, I'm just going to have one grape. 
right? Like, is that just me? Or maybe you're in this house and like, yeah, I eat just one grape. I'm like, that's cool too. We accept everybody from all sorts of different lifestyles. But when it comes to the, the fruit in our lives, grapes, they're hard to put down. We tend to not have so much control and we keep eating them. And I don't know if you really know what else grapes make, but sometimes we can get, out of, get a little bit out of control when it comes to the fermentation of these guys. So when it comes to some of these things, we have to constantly look at our life and, and say, hey, how is self-control operating and, and produced in my life? If you look at each of the fruits of the Spirit, if there's one fruit that goes into each other one, it's self-control. You have to have great self-control to have joy. You have to have great self-control to be kind. You have to have great self-control to be gentle with people. Self-control is essential, especially in this, this culture and this society we live in when someone says something and we can see the information really quickly and we want to respond immediately. Maybe something happens at work and you're angry and you're mad and you're frustrated. Self-control. Self-control is essential. We simply define self-control as this. It's the discipline of mastering one's own desires, emotions, and passions. It requires depending on God to overcome temptation and remain spiritually strong and pure. I want to highlight that line. It takes dependence on God. If you're trying to do life all by yourself without the help of the Spirit in your life, you are going to fall short time and time again. That's what we believe in, a radical relationship with Jesus, because we know when we're broken, when we're hopeless, He can fix it and He can make things better. That's why we say draw close to him. So the majority of our time, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24, and you can follow along in your handouts or if you're taking notes online. Verse 24, this is the Apostle Paul writing. He's writing to this church that he's, he's planted, that he's developed, that he's grown. He was in the city of Corinth for about uh, one and a half years. And when he was there, he invested into people, and they started needing a little direction as the church grew and got larger. And so Paul reflects on some of the responsibilities, some of the control he had to give up, and he uses this illustration of being an athlete. So chapter 9, verse 24 of 1 Corinthians. Do you not know, in, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Now, this is a context of when in the Olympics or the Isminian Games that they would wear this crown that was maybe of olive branches around their head. It was a perishable wreath. So I do not run aimlessly, in verse 26 we continue, so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating that of the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself 
should be disqualified. So today, we want to talk about three reasons why self-control is, is needed in our lives, why we need to apply it. The first one is this. Self-control is needed in order to compete for the prize. Now, I want you to ask yourself, what's a prize in your life? What do you actually want to obtain? Is it a healthy marriage? Is it a promotion at work? Is it maybe you want to see your children's children, the ones that we've seen up here, grow in a healthy spiritual relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus? What's the prize you want to see? The prize that Paul is talking about is this, that God orchestrated him, called him, commanded him, showed him that he was going to be used to be a minister of the gospel, an apostle, someone that was going to go plant and start churches, go on missionary journeys. Paul was saying that the prize is not what was, but his new eternity that was established in a relationship with Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 24, let's look at it real quick. It says, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. If you know it or not, you're running a race. Scripture draws this time and time again that we're in this life race. That if we want to compete, if we want to be a part, either we, we don't really have an option. That whatever you're going through, that this race called life, either we really have this understanding that we're participating or we're going to be competing. I don't know if you've uh, played sports. I've like sports, and uh, when it comes to sports, I come from a coach's home, and uh, I, I always draw back a little bit and think of some of the conversations I've had, but I was raised with two understandings when it comes to engaging in, in sports activities. You can be a participator, or you can be a competitor. See, a participator is this person that is just happy being on the team. They stand there, they're like, Woo! Yes, like, go team, go. And they just like look good. They're like, hey, coach, when's the next Gatorade break? You know? They're the person in the first inning saying like, hey, what, uh, what mom brought the snacks? You know, did they bring the good snacks today? It's that kind of mentality, participator. Now, don't get me wrong. Maybe you're in here and you're like, I'm not an athlete. I'm not that competitive. In some area of your life, you are competitive. You want to go to the next level. You want more for yourself. You want to obtain the prize. In fact, the prize that we even look about is this public acknowledgement in Scripture. See, these athletes, they're such under self-discipline that whenever they compete, whatever race they're running, they're going with the idea that I am going to give it my all, that they're racing to obtain it. I think a lot of times in our Christian walk, in our journey of following and pursuing and finding who Jesus is, we have a lot of us who like to be great participators. I'm cool with just showing up to church. I'm cool with just maybe meeting a couple people. I'm, I'm, I'm cool with just uh, kind of coming in, coming out, and there's not a lot of change between what takes place outside of the church and your normal living. We participate. We get the high five. We 
shake hands and say it's all good. A relationship with Jesus moves us from this category of being a participator to someone who wants to compete. It's this idea that, oh man, I get an opportunity to meet Jesus at church today. I get an opportunity to worship with my fellow believers. I have this opportunity to know more about him, to grow in a relationship with him as our church goes through a prayer and fast this past week. It's this opportunity to say, I'm not uh, uh, okay with my relationship at where it is. What more can it be? That's the idea that Paul is talking about, that whatever we do, that we need to go as a Christian, be someone who is saying, you know what, I'm going to be the best me I can possibly be, and I'm not going to give up. We have to ask ourselves, am I I going through this life change being someone who participates, or am I going through life saying, I'm going to be someone who's going to compete? Now, the idea isn't competition in sports. The idea of it is understanding that we can improve, that we can get better, that we're not just going to be content, but we're going to say, hey, the Lord of my life, I want to know you more. I want to draw close to you. I want to say, I want that prize that you have in store. I want a new eternity. I want a new destiny. I want you to shape my life. And I'm gonna keep leaning in, keep praying, and keep seeking until you show up in my life. Until you reveal yourself in my life. Hebrews 12, one says this. Another illustration found in scripture says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip away, strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance. This idea of this race, the race God has set before us. Life takes endurance, self-control. We have to have that to say no to some things, to say yes to some things we don't really want to say yes to. I like how the Apostle Paul puts it just a few verses above. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19, he says this, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. He's talking with this idea, this mindset. Who can he reach for the Lord Jesus? Who can he speak this gospel message to? And notice the the words that, that he might win more. If you've competed in anything, if you've played a game in anything, guess what? We don't always win, right? There's moments where we fall short. There's moments when we, we trip. There's moments when we share love with somebody and it's not returned. But look how Paul puts it as we continue in verse 20 of chapter 9. It says, to the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. Verse 21, to those outside of the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. 
In verse 22, he says this, he says, to the weak I become, became weak, that I might win the weak. I have became all things to all people that by all means I might, might save some. See, Paul understood that there's this great self-control that has to happen in his life. If he's going to minister to a Jewish person, there's some things that he has to change in his life. If he's going to minister to someone who is weaker, then he's going to have to change some things in his life. If he's going to reach someone that's maybe a little more affluent in society, in society then, then he's going to have to change some things in his life. The idea was that he would do whatever it takes to reach someone who was far from God. That's the prize that he's leading people to. The question we got to ask ourselves is, what prize are we willing to to develop, to cultivate this self-control in our life to help people, to help ourselves in order to progress in our relationship with the Lord? We need self-control. It's essential in our lives. I don't know about you, but wouldn't you agree? Sometimes it's extremely hard to have self-control. It can be challenging. Another observation we gather when it comes to why self-control matters is this. Self-control is a good exercise. Self-control is a good exercise. I don't know what anybody says. Actually, I do know what some people say. Let me rephrase this. I don't care what anybody says. Whenever you have to wake up and work out, I don't think anybody is excited the night before. I think it's this kind of agony that we're like, oh man, I got to go to the gym. You sit there and you're like, oh, why am I doing this to myself? In fact, my working theory is, is really quite simple is this. I think people like going to the gym because they like looking better, feeling better about themselves, looking good, seeing maybe some of the, the weight come off or seeing the, the muscles toned. And, you know, you always see these people, they're posting. We just talked about social media and looking at phones and, you know, they're posting these photos of them at the gym and they're flexing and you're like, that's cool. That's really an awkward photo, man. You know, like you go through some of those processes, but then we also do it for our mental health. We do it for our physical health. We, we go to the gym to, to help with our, our daily living. We exercise, we walk, we do some push-ups. But I don't think anybody over here is like, I cannot wait. I am going to lose sleep the night before, kind of like your children are going to Disney World, and it's like, oh man, I get to go and exercise. It's not really how it operates. See, self-control isn't something that we're excited about, but it's something that's a good practice for us. Self-control, am I just going to have one chip or a few chips or the bag of chips, right? Am I going to have one scoop of ice cream or am I going to have three to four? Ah, we'll, we'll just do the court, you know? Self-control. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25, he says, every athlete exercises self-control, not in some things, in all things. And let's even look at the way Paul would even say that is every disciple exercises in self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. 
Let's understand that real quick. These kind of athletes, great self-control, sacrifice almost anything so that they have something that really doesn't matter that much. As followers of Jesus, shouldn't we exercise great self-control because we do have something that is going to, to last and that matters? When you look at the, the word of exercise, self-control, when we look at the, the Greek language of that, what it means is to engage into agony, to engage into affliction in our lives. See, athletes, they would go through some of the hardest training processes so that they could obtain a trophy that in a hundred years isn't going to mean much. When I was looking at some of the training regiments of great athletes, the same by the name of Dave Goggins, he was a retired Navy SEAL, started to compete in ultra marathons to raise money for charity. So a little bit of his story is this. He wakes up 3 a.m. every day, and he runs 20 miles. Now, mind blown, I do like 10 minutes on the treadmill, and I'm done. He bikes to work another 20 miles. Then when he gets home from work, what's he do? He lifts weights with his wife. His first ultra marathon, he pushed his body so much that he experienced kidney failure. Talk about going into agony. Tom Brady, that name alone for some of us is agony in this place. But here we go. He is said to drink 12 to 25 glasses of water a day. Talk about a lot of interruptions, right? Usain Bolt, fastest man in the world, would push himself to a point of throwing up almost every workout. These athletes would enter into such agony to compete for a prize. As followers, what do we need to enter into to compete for eternity? Today we're closing out our seven-day prayer and fast. It's our final day, and hopefully God's been speaking to you in this, in this time and you've been seeking dis, uh, maybe decisions, clarity and decisions, discernment, whatever the case might be. We, we hope that you are getting a lot out of this week in your alone time with the Lord. But it's fascinating. Um, many times whenever we enter into a, a moment of saying, hey, I'm going to relinquish something, I'm going to give up something, prayer and fasting, there's always moments along that time, that week, or in your life where it's really challenging, right? See, whenever we have to take those moments and say no to something, we're practicing and developing self-control in our life. That's why fasting is a huge practice and a great spiritual discipline. Before Jesus went into the world to minister, he fasted and prayed for 40 days and 40 nights tempted, arguably next to the crucifixion, the hardest time ever in his life. Why did he do that? To prepare for all that God had in store for him. It's a good exercise, something that needs to be applied and exhibited in our lives. Self-control is good exercise. 
1 Corinthians 10.23 says this, you say I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. I'm allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. See, there's a lot of things that are swirling outside of church that we're supposed to navigate, that we're supposed to say, maybe uh, we'll, we'll receive that. We're getting ready to enter into a, a, a new school year. And for a lot of these students, they're going to come and home with different questions. Teachers are going to have different moments and opportunities, administrators, faculty, staff, different avenues, conversations that are going to take place in their lives. And they're going to have to continually say, Lord, how are you, am I going to exercise today self-control? Because it's going to take self-control to not respond whenever we feel like responding. To say, I'm going to take five minutes to think versus say something. It's this good exercise that we adopt, that we practice. This idea of self-denial. Personally, it's how it played out in my life. Uh, maybe you can relate. Growing up, I probably didn't read a, a book until I was probably 18 and in college. I don't know, do I have anybody who likes to read in the room? That's awesome. Uh, but for me, reading wasn't really a thing. Didn't like to study. Wasn't motivated. Wasn't, you know, really one of those things, like I'd rather be outside. I'd be staring through the window as all the children would be like, you know, going through their assignments. I'd be like, man, I can't wait to get outside. Is it three o'clock yet to get out of service or get out of class and have that mentality? And a couple weeks ago, I was sitting with my mom and she leans over and is, you know, moms, they're just so encouraging, right? She leans over and she goes, so Blake, you're reading quite a bit now, right? And I'm like, yeah, mom, I am. She, you know, like my mom, she's, she's a sweet lady, love her with my whole heart. And she goes, you know, I can't ever remember one time as a child, you reading a book. I'm sitting there like, thanks for the encouragement, mom. And she goes, she continues on, she's like, you know, I'm proud of you. Speaking some words and at first, I was like, my mom said I never read a book. Now my mom's saying she's glad that I do read books. And now hear how it's kind of worked out in my life when it's come to this idea of reading and studying and preparing for messages where I had took years preparatory work of saying, I'm going to be under control. I'm a slow reader. I'm going to take time. And I'm going to actually study and say, God, I need you to birth a desire to know your word more, to, to want to study, to not be a person that's just going to go through the motions and participate, but make me eager. And it wouldn't happen overnight, but it was self-control time and time again. I drew close to the Lord. God started working in ways I never expected. It's this exercise practice. And then self-control refines our aim. The third observation we gain from Paul's letter is this. Self-control refines our aim. 1 Corinthians 9.26 is this. So do I not run aimlessly? 
I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. This idea of self-control is so essential that we have it grown in our lives because when culture comes and knocks on our door and our window and says, hey, you need to start thinking this way. You need to start living out this way. You need to either accept this agenda or this idea or you're going to be in trouble or you're going to be labeled or you're going to be called out on social media. It refines our aim. Because this is what can happen. We see a couple big things that are taking place in our culture. We see this big agenda of abortion. We see the LGBTQ plus agenda. And then we also have to come to this understanding of where is the church. Now, I will say this, and hopefully you've received this through our, our messages and who we are as a church. We're pro-life, and we're also believe in biblical mandated marriage, man and woman. Because here's the thing when it comes to it. When the Holy Spirit is working in our lives, what happens is this. The Holy Spirit cultivates and gives us a season and shows us some of the things that we need to have self-control over in our lives so that we can live in peace with God. What happens now when it comes to the world, a sinful nature, and Galatians, what Paul talks about, versus a biblical worldview, is that a lot of people or outside of the church start to uh, put together that, hey, the, the world or, or liberal idea thinking needs to then be morphed into our understanding of Scripture and the Word of God. And so then it becomes the worldview puts an emphasis and changes a biblical view. We believe that it's a biblical view changes our worldview. And the idea is this. What happens is we, as a church, have to remember the greatest commandment that Jesus has ever given. It says this in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. Jesus replied, okay, now again, Jesus is being hit right in the face metaphorically with some people who are against him. And this is how he responds. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul and all your mind. Simple as that. Matthew twenty-two thirty-eight. his next statement is this. This is the first and greatest command, and the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Self-control as it grows in our life changes the way we interact on social media, changes the way we communicate with people, changes our thoughts about people that don't agree with our thinking. It refines our aim. When we're growing and having this self-control take place in our life, rather than getting mad on someone on the other side of the aisle, the thought becomes, how can I express the genuine love of God to that person? 
I see it, and you do too. We see a lot, a lot of great Bible-believing people that are so focused on one avenue versus saying, hey, you know what? Isn't it about making disciples? I believe that's what we get the, the great commission, go and make disciples. Self-control refines our aim. It says this, I'm not gonna get caught up in this idea of what my stance is, how it should be. It's going to say, you know what? How can I win that person to the Lord? What kind of conversation should I have? How should I treat that person in kindness? And then lead them to a relationship with Jesus so then Jesus can ultimately change their life because you and I and our opinions aren't gonna change people. And I think a lot of times we eliminate the self-control because, man, we want to let people know what's up. We want to have this stern thought. We want people to know what we believe, what we think, because that's what matters. When Jesus is saying in the midst of his adversity, he says, love God, love people. And I believe love is a fruit of the Spirit, right? So today as we wrap up and close our Keeping It Fresh series, my challenge to you, my encouragement to you is allow God to grow self-control in your life. Self-control focuses on the things that matter. That's the people, that's the message, that's the ministry. See, that's what Paul was wrapped up. He was more concerned about the scoreboard for the kingdom than all the other stuff that can distract people. Paul was more concerned about saying, hey, you know what? God is exercising me in this season. God is giving me an opportunity to say no. God is giving me an opportunity to say yes to my addictions, to break them, to mold them, to say, hey, you know what, God, I need help, so I need to say no to that addiction. God, I need help, so I'll say yes to this discipline. Self-control is what it takes for each and every one of us to evaluate our lives, to say, hey, what's hindering me from taking a step closer to Jesus? What's hindering me from loving God more? What's hindering me from showing my neighbor, my coworker, my, my, my friend, what it means to know and have a relationship with Jesus? Self-control has to manifest and grow in our lives. Because right now, it's getting really, really, really easy to say, I'm done with self-control, and I'm gonna do whatever I wanna do. So church, as we wrap up today, I'm gonna ask every head to bow and eye to close. You might be in this place right now, and. this idea of self-control is resonating with you because you know there's things you need to give up. You need to give those things up and replace that with a relationship with Jesus. As we pray, I want to encourage you to say, Jesus, come into my life. Be the Lord, leader, and Savior of my life. And you start a relationship with Jesus and you'll drastically change the way you move forward and the fruit that's produced in your life. And then maybe you're in here right now and you're thinking that, hey, I need self-control because 
It's like a powder keg going on in your mind. You see things that are happening and you just want to share your opinions. You want to just react. And really right now, you just need to say, God, I need you to grow more than ever self-control my life, to be a disciplined athlete as we learned about today. God, let's pray. Let's pray together, church, our Lord and Savior. Lord, we give you this time right now for those two groups, those two individuals in this place who are watching. Lord, we pray that you work in their lives for the individuals that are being faced with uh, wanting to release their self-control. And we pray right now that you refine their aim, that they focus on what matters, what's important, so that they can run for the prize that matters. Lord, we also pray for those individuals who right now need to give up certain areas of their life and start a real relationship with your son, Jesus, so they can have a new destiny, a new eternity, a new life found in you, be made new because you are faithful, Lord and Savior. So God, we give you this time, we give you this moment, and in your great and holy name, we all say... Hey, thanks for listening today. If you have any questions or would like to speak to someone concerning this message, we invite you to fill out our online communication card at faithnfm.com. And if you're able, we'd love to have you with us in person on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. or on the best night of the week for Wednesday prayer at 7 p.m. We're at 7101 Bayshore Road in North Fort Myers, just two miles west of I-75 at exit 143. Thanks again for listening.